This presentation is from UX Australia 2016, held in Melbourne. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. So I would like to welcome Andy Polane um, to the stage, and he will be able to tell you all the things he's talking about. Come on up. Thank you. Thanks, Donna. Uh, it doesn't quite work, does it? I, I looked at Christopher Reeve. <clears throat> Hello. So, um, oh, look, at it. how come it's 11 past eight, uh, 8 past 11 already? Hello, I'm Andy Pallane. Um I'm one of the design directors at Fjord. Uh, I'm up in Sydney. And I'm going to talk today um, looking at kind of what are the possible futures and also limits of... Uh, I'm going to just call it design in general. I, I, I work in service design now. I know uh, sometimes this is a point of contention with UX and service design and which is it and where are the boundaries. Part of today's talk is to suggest that there aren't really any. When I was, um, when I was a young man, when I was a boy actually, when I was a kid, my dad had this book. My dad's a designer, an artist too, and he had this book by uh, Ray and Charles Eames called um, Powers of Ten. And it's the book of a film that they made, and in true designer style, they did a prototype of the film in, I think, 68, and then they made the actual one in 71, I think. And um, I'm not going to show you the whole film. I'm going to click through some uh, screen grabs of it. Don't do it now, but you can go and find it there, or you can Google it and you'll find it online. Just, I say this, and then everyone pulls out their phones and no one listens for the next 20 minutes. And what it is, it's a, it's a film that deals with the relative size of things in the universe, and they, they zoom out by a power of 10 each time. So it starts with this um, guy lying on a picnic blanket in Chicago, and um, they're a meter above him. It's, it's pretty well known. And then... Um, they zoom out by a power of 10, so they're 10 meters, and then 100 meters, and then a kilometer, and so forth. And very, very quickly, they are um, moving out, and you're into this space, and then you're further out again into the uh, solar system, and so forth. And it just keeps going out and out. And then they go in the other way, and they zoom back in, they go all the way back down into his hand, and then they go all the way towards the subatomic level. And it's a fascinating film. It's got some sort of crazy, trippy music to it as well, which is worth listening to. And um, it made me think about the fractal nature of, of design and what, and what we do. Because I seem to have conversations a lot about, uh, you know, what level are we, are we thinking at? So, you know, we have these really low-level things. Someone somewhere has to, you know, program the chips right, and work out how they're going to work. And if you think of... You know, APIs and, and libraries, the code, they're, they're kind of the UX for, code, for developers, right, and engineers. So, you know, these are the, the affordances of this thing. And you see, the, you know, the frustrations or not with being able to use those or how good they are. And then you, you know, might have a kind of UI element, which is at that sort of fingerprint level, and then a cluster at the finger level. And then you move up and you've got uh, sort of an app that's going to be in your hand, and then you've got the, your device, which is its own little ecosystem, living inside the ecosystem or part of a larger ecosystem, um, which usually just sort of attacks your wallet. 
Um, and that ecosystem becomes embedded in your, in your life. And you know, once, once they've got you there, it's quite hard to switch. Um, but you, know, you can just keep going. So those live on the kind of backbone of, of networks, which are, you know, involve all of our lives. And those then um, sit inside a kind of national system, get caught up in all the national regulatory stuff. So if you're trying to design something down here, and then you start kind of zooming out, you very quickly sort of hit, hit here. And I'll, come, I'll talk about some examples later on. But you can just keep going, right? So when you think of um, like trade agreements, for example, that stuff starts affecting global populations and international law. And this is an old one from WorldMapper. Don't know if people know WorldMapper.org in here? It's really great. They use fluid dynamics to show data. So this is from 2002. But so they squish, and instead of land mass, they squish and, and um, stretch countries based on data. So this is internet users. It's quite northern hemisphere-centric. Uh, There's Australia. It's just off to the side there. Not looking as fat as it should do, though, right? So I know there's some people from NBN and Telstra in here, aren't there? I've seen your badges. Um, so, but you keep zooming out again, and then we get into this stuff, right? Climate change, wealth, poverty, health, peace, development, security. And I don't know, if, is Steve Hellenius in here? Is he? I was talking to him last night. He's doing uh, a talk later about um, the Internet of Things in space. He works for NASA. So we get here. So now we're in kind of UX of space. So we've gone from a chip to, to space very, very quickly. Um, and you can use the same kind of process over and over again for each one of those. So in, in any one of those, you have a process of some kind of research and discovery and understanding the space. Then you start describing that space in some way. And uh, you'll use different tools depending on what level you're at. Then you start designing for that. And then you start developing... And you release that, and then you start measuring the thing you've released, and you go back around again. And so, so mentally what's going on is you're, you're kind of creating these, you've got these different layers, and it's just fractal. You don't, one of the, I think, the, an often sort of complicated conversation that I have, or we have, with, uh, with clients, and as some of you might know, Fjord uh, belongs to Accenture, so Accenture's very big. Um, and we have that sort of fractal thing going on even internally, um, is the idea that this process of at my layer and exactly how this works is applicable to everything. And you have to do everything at my level of detail, otherwise it's not valid. Um, and, of course, you, know, you, can't, you can't work that way. At some point, you have to kind of move out and abstract and have the kind of bigger picture. At some point, you have to go in and someone, like I said, someone has to program the chips. The, the crucial thing is to know where you are. But also, you can use a kind of broad process that you go through each time, and that's a really positive thing. Right? So that's a thing that you can... There's a, there's a process that you, you're working through for which the broad strokes of which are applicable to, to every layer. But then you get those kind of disagreements about, you know... Uh, and they usually come because people are confused about or disagreeing about what level of, of Zoom you're working at. I often sort of get asked, yeah, but, you know, we can't design the kind of the whole system. You know, I, I, we're, I'm, a, I'm a UXer and I'm involved in making the app or I'm the interface or the website of this thing. The other stuff belongs to someone else. But 
Each of those things are connected to everything else. And disconnected touch points can really wreck an ecosystem. And because we're in Melbourne, here's my example. <laughs> I love the, just the ripple of laughter. You know what's coming, right? For those of you who don't know this, uh, Melbourne, uh, Mikey is Melbourne's um, you know, uh, touch card payment system to vastly improve the public transport f infrastructure and flow. He's coughing here. Um, so it looks, it looks great. And, and the original sort of material for, uh, for Mikey was, uh, I can't remember if it was tap or touch, but basically just uh, touch. Don't forget to touch on and off. Tap or touch? Does anyone know what the original thing was? Touch, touch. Now, I don't know about you, but touch to me sort of suggests that. Taps even more so. But that's it. So part of that communication is saying to me, uh, touch your card to this reader. Uh, and so you're teaching me the mental model of how this works, right? Uh, except, no, don't do that. Don't tap. Okay. Now, one of the things I always say to people doing research is uh, when you go out and you, you're looking at stuff, look for handwritten signs or sort of crappy cardboard signs because that's a surefire uh, sign that the initial idea from top down isn't actually working on the ground. And you see all those signs with, on a door that says, this is not a door, and things like that. Uh, that's a, a, a sign uh, that these things aren't working. So you've told me to don't forget to touch on and off, but, but don't tap. Touch, but don't tap. Uh, OK. Now, now I'm a little bit confused. Or maybe it's a kind of uh, thing I, I swipe. No? No, OK. I won't swipe around. Um, Hmm. Or I may, I don't know, perhaps it's a bit like one of those kind of near-field things, so I'll wave it about a bit. No, no, no don't wave. Okay. <laughs> what I like about this is they must have observed all of these behaviors of people doing these different things. There's a, actually, there's a, um, New York has a, a similar thing now, and there's a, there's a video on YouTube about kind of New Yorkers being stymied by the subway, and there's all these uh, videos of people going up and, and having that, tick, tick, that barrier moment where they, their card hasn't kind of swiped, and then... So um, this sort of has become a, an object of hate. It's, sorry, is anyone from... Gosh. If anyone's from Public Transport Victoria, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you to put your hand up and then run out of the room really quickly. So no, look, um, I, I, know you, I know there are efforts to improve this. So I apologize for using your thing as a, as a hobby horse here. Um, but, you know, so that means the readers also became a, uh, a sort of object of hate. They get graffitied. Australia's quite a sunny place, normally. Well, maybe Melbourne. I'm... <laughs> Sorry, I won't go there. The, um, so you can't, I can't read the thing, even. And actually, the, the type on the, the card reader is quite small. So, so when you try and update your card, when you're trying to see how much you've spent, it's quite hard to see anyway. You sort of, they show you it for a microsecond. You go, oh, no, no, I can't, I can't see whether I've, I'm about to get fined or not. But you know what? There's, there's machines. Well, they're not all over the place, but there's machines in the station. So I'll go, I'll go to the machine and I'll have a look, shall I? So here we go. I've got a machine here that's got something that looks like a uh, corporate PowerPoint slide on it. <laughs> and... It's got loads of labels stuck all over it, because obviously the layout of the machine wasn't very obvious or intuitive. Anyway, uh, this little thing here, the, where it's got a sort of picture of someone holding a card, 
uh, is where you, you sort of slot your card in, let it fall out and pick it up, slot the card in again, let it fall out, and then eventually um, slot it in and then can't get it out again when you're trying to charge your card. So anyway, machine isn't much help. Um, one of the things that uh, you can do is you can set your card up to, to, you can top your card up with a credit card. It's great. So the time that I'm likely to know when I've, my card amount is running low is when I've just gone through the barrier. And it's just shown me that split second. Or it's, it's made a beep. Uh, initially, now it's 24 hours, but initially it was like th uh, three to five days or something before it topped up your, your card from your credit card. Incidentally, though, if you get fined, you can pay by FPOS and Visa immediately. Right? <laughs> so that's not very useful. So I think, well, okay. Now I'm a little bit uh, confused. There's a whole thing about whether I touch on or I touch off uh, on the trams. There's these things on the trams. So uh, I'll look for some tips online. So now I don't normally do the reading out the text thing, but I'm going to read this out for the full effect. So. Yarra tram tips. When you travel with Mikey on a tram, you don't always need to touch off at the end of the journey. Oh, that's good. That's because you can now travel from one end of a tram, uh, tram route to the other on a zone one fare. Great. On three tram routes, 75, 86, and 109, the ends of the line furthest from the city have a short zone two section, brackets, which overlaps in zone one. Okay. I don't really know where those lines are. I'm a tourist, right? I don't really know where those lines are. If your tram trip is entirely in zone two, you must touch on and touch off to get to the lower zone two fare. Otherwise, there's no need to touch off on a tram. <laughs> are you any clearer? I still don't really know whether I have to touch on or off here. But don't, don't worry, I'll go to the website. <sighs> now, I'm not making this up. Have a look at the URL in the top here. It says, tickets, Mikey, touching on and off. Oh, dear. All right, now I'm, I'm, I'm really stuffed. So uh, now, oh, right, OK, that's the fi Finally, I happen to walk past one of these that shows me the right stuff, which is touch, hold, and go. Touch, hold on to what? I don't know, just touch. <laughs> Um, so they have slow card readers, right? They're a bit laggy. In my, in my fantasy land, the, someone went into the card reader shop and went, um, uh, so how much does that one cost? And well, this one's really fast, but it costs, you know, $500. Uh, and this one's $300, and it's a bit, bit slow. And someone, oh, it's okay, that'll be, that'll be right. She'll be right, Australia. In reality, I'm sure it was some procurement decision made on a spreadsheet and um, I don't know if they prototype this or not. Someone from PTV can tell me. Um, I'm guessing perhaps not. Um, or I'm guessing, you know, maybe there was a decision, a budget cut, and it got kind of, uh, it forced upon them. But So let's have a look at the budget. Now, these, these numbers are slightly uh, woolly because it's actually quite hard to get this information, too. I've heard everything from 300 to 550 is the original budget, um, million. Uh, as, uh, as the original budget. And so far, it's cost $1.55 So that's quite a lot of money, right? And it's quite so much money, I can't really think of it. That's at least uh, a house in Mosman or something um, in <laughs> Sydney. 
So uh, let's have a look. Now, Steve will probably tell me this is wrong here. So, but this is what I, I understand to be the cost of a space shuttle launch. Not the, not the whole thing, just you know, throwing it up in the air. Uh, Mars rover mission. Okay. Market value of Virgin Australia Airline. Or the total assets of the Ford Motor Company in Australia. You would kind of think that if we could uh, do a couple of Mars rover missions for that money, we might be able to have a kind of public transport infrastructure that, that works. That would be nice. So what happens there is you get this kind of, um, these individual pieces that don't, kind of, uh, that don't add up together. And the lived experience of that is people trying to touch off of the tram and they're, and they're not sure whether they should or not, and the thing's beeping, and they're just, it's rush hour, and there's a load of people behind them, and they're just doing that over and over and over again because they're desperate not to be fined. And so it slows down the entire thing. So the very thing that's meant to make the traffic flow better actually has the opposite effect, and it's become, you know, like I say, a sort of object of much derision, unfortunately. So... Those individual pieces that you're working on, you might only be doing one bit of it, but you absolutely have to know how the rest of it fits together. There's a, a very good book by uh, Dan Hill called um, Dark Matter and Trojan Horses. Um, I'd really recommend it. And he talks about a few different things. Um, uh, meta versus matter. So he's talking about there's a, a building called Low to... I think it's called Low to No. No, no to Low? I remember. Uh, it's a kind of a carbon-neutral... Uh, emissions building in, in um, Finland, Iceland, shit now, Finland, I think. Um, and the meta is the kind of whole building and the whole um, context of, of that. The, the matter are the kind of individual bits, and that could be the sort of concrete wall, it could be the, the door handles, it could be any of those pieces. And you have to kind of zoom between the two and understand uh, the relationship between them. MacGuffins are a, a thing that Hitchcock came up with, the idea of a MacGuffin. It's everything in a film that um, the characters are all trying to, trying to get. So it's the secret uh, documents in a suitcase, in the briefcase. You don't have to ever know in the film what those secret documents are. You just have to know that everyone is trying to get it, and that drives the thing forward. And so sometimes you need something like a grand project that becomes the MacGuffin, that, that's kind of pulling along lots of other stuff in the, in the context. So that's the kind of big thing. But sometimes the small things are the Trojan horses. So you can start off doing a, the UX for a website of something that's particularly into public services. And that as you start doing it and you start doing the research and you go, let's have a look at the context of the journeys at either side of that website usage. And it reveals all the rest of the behavior. And so it reveals all the silos and all the other problems. And so the, the web, you know, that, just that small piece can be uh, a Trojan horse for actually creating a lot more change. And then there's this thing called dark matter. So dark matter, as you probably know, is it, it fills most of the universe, and um, you can't see it. But it makes its presence felt. Right? So in, in organizations, processes and procedures and culture, um, systems, sometimes technology, sometimes we often see it embedded, that's the dark matter. Right? It's the stuff that stops anything kind of happening or kind of make, makes it very, very difficult, and you feel like, oh, our project got canned. It's like, what? why did that happen? Oh, I don't know, from above. Right? So your job, really, is to disturb that dark matter. And one of the things I really liked was he said, you know, if you're not, 
If it's too easy to get an idea accepted, you're probably not doing it. You're probably doing it wrong. You're probably not disturbing the dark matter enough. And the, the trick is to disturb it enough. Uh, so I was in Kim's um, workshop yesterday, and we were talking about change quite a lot. You kind of, if people go, yeah, that ch this change is fine, probably not that much of a change. Right? You, change is, in general, people like the idea of change. They like the results of it. Most people hate the process of it. And um, you really kind of need to disturb it a little bit. Otherwise, in those kind of ecosystems, you're not uh, disturbing it enough. So the trick with this is also to move between levels. So if we take something like a car-sharing website, that's that tiny bit of text in that bottom diamond there. You might think, well, okay, actually, it's a website, but it's part of a, a, a bigger service. So in that service system, there's uh, card readers, there's... Um, you know, a booking system, there's a call center, there's the cars themselves, there's the, you know, the engineers, the mechanics who go and, and uh, deal with those cars. And then you might think, well, you know, the downside of owning a car is, uh, or, you know, the plus side of owning cars, it's my own big shiny lump of steel. Um, the downside of owning a car is it's very expensive to park in, in the city. And so typically, car sharing services make some kind of deal where they get special parking places for free in the city. Uh, like GoGet and, and a few others. Um, so then you're dealing with the public transport infrastructure of a city. And then you think, well, you know, like Deutsche Bahn in Germany, part of the thing is about the last mile problem, right? So getting, how do people get from the station to the car sharing place? Or how do we, how do we sort of put this together? And, and, you know, why can't I use my Mikey to get in my GoGet and, and so forth? And so it's just one seamless experience. So when you do that, then suddenly you're you're dealing with public transport infrastructure nationally. And all of a sudden, you've gone from, well, we were just making a website, and now we're dealing with all of this stuff. And the reality of that is that it's actually more like this. It's each layer has its kind of overlapping scope and, and, and things like that, and elements. And in fact, you know, the, what people's actual journeys are through it, and the thing you, that to deal with as designers is it looks like this kind of 1950s jazz animation. Um, where it's really, really complicated. You're moving between layers, and no one ever kind of goes through in one of those lovely sequenced customer journey maps that you all probably make. Uh, in reality, right, our lives are messy and, and complicated and blurred and entwined. So the two things are know when you're, what layer you're on. So when you're having a conversation about stuff uh, and you're having a conversation with stakeholders, with each other, it's very easy to get kind of bogged down in the detail, and actually, you haven't really sorted out the big layer yet. The other thing is to look for the invisible connections and the transitions in between. And downhill's dark matter, but it's often you know, as you go from one thing to the other. If you look at that Mikey example, each individual bit's a little bit crap, but it's it's the whole thing together that makes it a whole bowl full of crap. Sorry, that's a nice. I was going to say a bowl of arse, and then I come into crap, and I don't know, I don't know where my metaphor has just gone off the, off the rails. So about this time, most people are going, oh, my God, this is too complicated. I, I, I don't want to do this. Just give me a website to design. But, you know, a lot of what we do is actually quite complicated. And, you know, these things are called wicked problems for a reason, because they are intertwined and they're knotted together. And it's very easy, though, to kind of go, oh, you know, it's not my job. I had this conversation. I don't know if this guy is in here. Because it was in Australia. It's an English guy I, I, whose name I've forgotten now. I've met him once before, since. 
And he said this, you know, he said, fixing climate change or the global financial crisis, it's not your fucking job. And I thought, well, whose job is it? It's not the U is it the UN? They, you know, are they really going to get the act together? Is it government or not government? As David Cameron said, went to do his big society thing, not big government. No, he's even got smileys because he's so down with the kids. <laughs> Probably not this guy. My brother works for, I oh, used to work for British Telecom as a, a lead researcher for the sector economy, and he works for the British Antarctic Survey now, actually. And he's a, he's a proper product designer. He makes, uh, he, you know, he designs, he was trained in designing uh, products, actual things you can hold. And um, the thing with the circular economy is you, you're looking at lots and lots of tiny little things. So things that have been created are also causing the problem. So, you know, there's little standby buttons. This is outsourced industrial production. This is from Ed Bertinsky. He's standing in the middle of a factory in China, and he's taken a photograph in one direction and then turned and taken a photograph in the other direction. These are those, uh, those sort of coffee machines, Sensei pads. Here's a load of old mobile phones. It's pretty grim. Um, and so one of the things, here he is. He's older than me, would you believe? Don't know how that happened. Um, he uh, is to work on this thing called the BT Home Hub. And his kind of point of insight was trying to recapture the, the materials and recapture and, and to get people to send back their old router so that they, they can recycle it and refurbish it. And um, in, in the UK, unlike in Australia, we have letterboxes that are about that big. In the UK, there, there's a DIN ISO standard for letterboxes. So he went, well, let's start with that and then work backwards. Because the, the customer experience of it is, ah, oh, I'm getting my new BT Home Hub. Oh, no, I've got a card on my doormat that says, sorry, whilst you're out, we tried to deliver this thing. But you can also make a smaller package. There's less waste. There's fewer returns. And when you do want to return it, you just put your one in and you dump it back in a post box right, rather than having to go to somewhere and have it delivered and all that stuff. And so there are whole loads and loads of tiny little savings. You can, you can Google for this uh, online. Um, that added up to an awful lot, an awful lot of CO2 um, savings, but also a better experience. And it wasn't until he said the experience bit that kind of the sort of managers at British Telecom suddenly got interested. And then the kind of logistics guys got really excited when he said, and by the way, you can get more of these in a container. And they went, oh, ding, 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 money. Right? So um, really understanding that. But in order to do it, he had to, they had to kind of redesign. Take, you imagine the existing one like a piece of dough, and you squash it down and spread it out. You have to go all through the supply chain, all the way back to uh, their suppliers in, in China and Asia and around the world to, to make these different things. But as they started doing it, people said, oh, yeah, you know, we could do that. You don't need that extra thing. We can just put it on a chip. You don't need a CD, install CD anymore, because, you know, who's got CD drives? So uh, we can put that, you know, we can just put that on there. And, and gradually made all these different savings. So actually, you know, your job of those tiny little shavings, when you chunk it down, does make a difference. We're seeing it in government. I don't know if Lisa's in here. There's DTOs uh, uh, in here, probably. Um, this is also from gov.uk. So this is Sir Jeremy Hayward, is Cabinet Secretary and Head of the Civil Service. We don't want to continue running government as a series of disjointed silos. I'm fairly sure they told him to say that. But it's amazing that he, someone at that level is saying these things. And you're also seeing it in, in these kinds of areas. So those wicked problem areas of health, humanitarian aid, peace development, and security. Right? So 
This is uh, the United Nations um, Institute for Disarmament Research. And uh, Derek Miller and Lisa Rudnick, they are both doing other things now. Derek uh, and Lisa are running a thing called the Policy Lab, and she's at a place called um, Interpeace. They're really interested where they understand that policy making, when a group of people sit in a room deciding, hmm, so what's going on in the Congo? Well, how do, what, what do we do when we're in Uganda? Well, let's do that and, and, and cut, copy and paste. So that's an act of design. And in fact, uh, the way that process works is kind of best practice driven instead of best process driven. And they're really interested in the difference between those two because you, you, the, the context is different each time with, pra with uh, practice. But the process they're looking for is what's the best process that we can reapply to all those different contexts? And that's why they're really interested in how designers work. Um, there are other things. So one of our designers in, in Stockholm, he um, has a, uh, uh, his son's got type 1 diabetes. Right? So 400 million families around the world are affected by this. And the things, that, the devices that kind of dose um, insulin are really rubbish. And um, you have to adjust it all the time. Right? So if he knows his kid's going to be doing some rock climbing or um, going to a party where there's lots of sweet stuff, they have to adjust it. But it's like a million things saying, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Okay. So he's been designing this system for, uh, that it's learning from you. It's getting this kind of thick personal data from you and learning and understanding those rhythms and have a much better interface. Um, right the way through to there's another project that's called First Light. And it's about bringing, uh, so this is in the, in, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, bringing the internet to this, this small community there. And what's interesting is it's a massive hassle. I mean, the, the long story of this, if you go to the website, is it's incredibly difficult to just get the equipment there and, and, and set it up. But there's a whole lot of education process about that. But then it, as soon as they set it up, people got out their smartphones that were previously useless and were starting to use it. So there was this kind of huge leap that suddenly happened when you just make that final connection. This uh, lady, Angelique, on the right, and her, her son, whose name is, oh, I think I've forgotten his name. Um, he, he was, he, they had been to church, and they were all walking about. There's a load of people, and she thought her son was with, um, I think it's Cedric, actually, um, uh, was walking back with um, the, the family and her, her daughters further behind. And then they realized when they got back that uh, he wasn't there. And... So she, um, her sister, I think, who was, uh, lived just opposite this kiosk here, put a notice on this kiosk. There's a kind of screen up there um, saying, you know, my, my, this boy is missing. And a few hours later, someone f uh, had found him. And oh, I think her sister actually then had, had um, it, was, it wasn't her sister who put it on there, but she put it on there and her sister saw it and phoned and said, it's okay, we found him. And otherwise, this kid would have been lost. Who knows what would have happened. So, you know, sometimes those small connections that you do that you think, well, yeah, obviously, that's really sort of a banal thing to have a kind of a kiosk with a screen and some internet access uh, actually has a huge impact on people's lives. It's the same as bringing things like stuff that we all assume is everywhere, you know, patient management systems to a place where they've been doing it by hand all the time. So tracking someone's... Um, 
sickness or tracking someone who's got malaria. It's been really, really tedious, very, very time-consuming. And so you're not really getting, you're not being able to spend the time doing other work. So just things like that make a, a big difference. So the good news with this is that um, we already have most of the tools. So we're used to mapping out complicated systems with things like blueprints and journey maps and really understanding those connections. We're used to making those things tangible and, and prototyping very quickly and uh, being at a low cost, going, what about this, what about that? Um, and taking those things into the real world and speaking to real people. You th might think that that's really bleeding obvious. A lot of those NGOs who will spend millions of aid money in another place, the, the person who's sending that money over will be sitting in New York and not have actually gone to the country where they're sending that money to, have no idea how that's actually then being implemented. So those skills that you think are really obvious are absolutely not to a whole different world. So I'm going to finish up because I want to finish with some questions, if, if you like. With four things. One is uh, collaborate with domain experts. And by that, I mean that designers aren't the sort of superheroes who are going to go and save the world, but we're very, very good at helping other people who know about that world in a lot of detail. There's a golden moment where you kind of first engage with something complex, where you kind of can see the dark matter for a little bit, and then it kind of goes away as, as you get deeper into it. But also domain experts are the people who are living there on the ground. The other one is to move fluidly between those Zoom levels and know which level you're at. And I think that's something that takes some, some time, but I think it's also something that most people in this room are inherently good at, because that's our job, to go from how does that touch point affect the big ecosystem, how does the strategic positioning of this get rippled across all those touch points. Disturb the dark matter. Okay, one of the things you can do is make it visible. So when you make a thing that shows up a, a kind of problem, whether it's a big blueprint on the wall or a journey map and shows all those pain points, you're, you're, you're um, surfacing that dark matter and saying, hey, look, there's this thing that previously you weren't dealing with because you couldn't see it. Do not ever underestimate your ability to visualize something because most people can't do that very quickly. And lastly, design for those transitions and connections in between. It's very Yoda. It's very uh, the force. But it's a, um, a really kind of important skill to... You know, if you're at art school, you, you sometimes get to draw the negative space. So you draw the sort of negative the space between the legs of a chair. Or uh, in typography, sometimes you draw the, the um, space between the letters instead of the letters themselves. Because it kind of makes you, fries your brain a bit and makes you think differently. So that's, um, that's really what you kind of get to do and need to start getting used to doing when you're doing all of these things. And the very last thing, and I didn't put this in because it's such a cliche to have a picture of Gandhi there, but the other night I had a sort of late-night Netflix moment where I stupidly I thought, oh, Gandhi, I haven't watched that for ages. And it was on Netflix, and it starts at, it was like 11 p.m., and it's a three-hour film, and of course, like, so, you know, 2.30 in the morning, I'm still sitting there watching it. But it's amazing, um, and it's a really good example of, you know, small things can have a ripple effect and have a massive difference. So some of the things he did, they basically sort of broke down the British Empire, right? So, and he just faced it down. And there's this real balance that I think designers have to have, I think everyone has to have it, but I think designers have to have it a lot, is, is this balance between humility and ego, we, we need to be perpetual beginners and sort of have that sort of naive uh, view, but sometimes you also need to fight for some things. 
If you get it the wrong way around, you end up like Donald Trump. But if you do it right, you end up like Gandhi. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we have time for questions. Raise your hand. I'll bring the mic to you. Sorry. Thanks. That was great. Um, I love the idea oh, of moving between the layers and being conscious of them. Yeah. Um, is there any way of um, modelling or articulating what those layers are to kind of agree on that and, and be able to be um, explicit about it, I guess, in, in team situations? Um, yeah. I, it's going to sound really a sort of banal answer or glib answer. Um, you know, grids and post-it notes and conversations. So when you kind of keep stuff loose like that and you don't kind of lock it down in a particular tool, um, you can do that initial... It's actually what my workshop was about, sort of sketching a service, as it were. We were kind of doing that kind of initial overview of, you know, this is, um, this is roughly what we think this kind of service is or these connections are, and you're keeping it quite loose. And you're having those conversations with all those multidisciplinary, all those different people who are involved in, in, in that, um, delivering that service. Uh, ideally in the room at the same time, but you can kind of do it asynchronously too. And there's a, you need someone to kind of moderate that process a bit and sort of hold the pen. But I think that um, there's a kind of, there's a, the thing that comes with the experience, I think, or a bit of skill is, uh, of, of, of learning is, is understanding that we're having a conversation about a detail and we're arguing for our ages about a detail that, and we don't yet know. So my example is often the opera house. Right? I have a, a sketch of the opera house on my desktop on my computer to, re, to remind me of this. Um, that at some point it was just a sketch. Right? And the, and, but sometimes everyone's arguing about the color of the tiles in the bathroom. Uh, whilst we're not even sure how many bathrooms there's going to be. And I think it, you need to sort of develop a, um, the ability to try and keep stuff from being locked down as long as possible, and then, uh, but also start putting in structure. And some of that works. You know, some, some things like design sprints and agile, and all those things work to kind of do that when you can have constant course correction. Those things work very, very well when you kind of know what it is that you're trying to create. It's, it's a lot harder, I think, when you're still in that kind of land of we're not even sure what this is going to be. Um, so the, the simple answer is to keep talking to people and keep bringing it back down to the, kind of the, the human level, but also to have that uh, agreement, at least, or have that conversation of, you know, I think we're, we're discussing down here, but actually we, we're still deciding up here at the moment, and vice versa. So Andy will be around today, but not tomorrow. So if you have questions... Yeah, you're not here at all tomorrow. Yeah, I right? have to fly at about yeah, 4 o'clock this you know, afternoon, unfortunately. Hard to go to Japan for a holiday. How rough. Uh, so if you have questions for him, make sure you grab him today. Um, thank you very much. That was really good. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from UX Australia 2016. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.